Hello, kittens. This is your old pal, the Proof Dog. This week's vodcast was recorded the night before the FBI misogynist, racist, voter suppression, white lash coup that we enjoyed. Um, it's a lighthearted show. We talk about the World Series and lots of stuff, and there's laughter. Next Tuesday, I'm going to drop the biggest boring preachy post-election call to arms you've ever bloody heard. Um, we're recording next Sunday at the Helium Comedy Club in Portland. Please come and visit me there, and we'll do this live. Until then, organize and fight back. I love you. We will prevail. The future is unwritten. Please remain seated for the new national anthem of the Clinton Proops administration. Welcome to the new world, everybody. Recorded before, but celebrated after. You know how this one comes out. Sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. Hooray, hurrah, once again, the smartest man in the world. Proopcast takes to the ether here. From the salubrious confines of Western Hollywood's most enchanting comedy conflagration with the most chandeliers of any comedy club in the Western Hollywood area. The Bar Lubitsch, located... Not exactly across from the pleasure chest, but close enough to throw a purple invader. (laughs) We're here to celebrate because the world was saved. How do you know this, Greg? Aren't you being overconfident on the night before? Aren't you afraid of some sort of seven days in May Kirk Douglas Burt Lancaster coup occurring or whatever? (laughs) Not with this fucking clown car. What else can they say? They said she was a witch this week. <laughs> We've really reached 18... Not, you know, it's not 2016. It's 1620. <laughs> People are still witches, okay? I don't see the witchcraft group and the dude who rides the horse with no shirt on and the guy with the glasses with the creepy hair or any of them concocting some sort of giant fucking technical surprise. <laughs> Any more than I don't think for the last six days, everyone else in America has been breathing a sigh of relief, has stopped drinking, and has had a a picnic with their loved ones, and the other small percentage of America that was not happy has been shooting road signs feverishly. I invite those on the, uh, the team that didn't win to join us on our team. We, we love you. We still love you. Yeah, you were racist dicks through the whole thing. <laughs> and you probably still are. But the point is this. Put your cousin down and listen to me for just a moment. <laughs> Ignorance isn't a malady. It's not Zika. You don't contract it. It's something that's learned sociologically and uh, societally and economically and all that jazz. The idea that economic anxiety is powering the Trump voters is one of the most hilarious fallacies that the press has ever foisted on an unwitting public who all we wanted was a fact occasionally chucked our way. (laughs) Like a fucking collie after a long run. All we wanted was a milk bone and a hump. You know what I mean? (laughs) 
But we didn't get it. We didn't get it. We got that there were white disgruntled voters who were economically deprived and blah, 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 and that's why there was axe grinding. It was like, no, it seemed pretty obvious after the fucking first Zeke Hiles were thrown what was happening here. Uh, in any case, I invite you to come over. Like I say, it's, it's, it, ignorance can be unlearned, like drinking. And uh, we all want to join hands and move boldly forward into the new future. I only ask this of everyone, uh, that everyone be held accountable, and I mean that. I, I'm, for we, as I said before, we forgive everyone. We forget nothing. And uh, uh, any obstructionism during this administration uh, can't be tolerated. The rascals have to be thrown out at least at halftime, which will have the opportunity in two years to uh, balance the ledger sheet if it isn't get balanced uh, this week. And... Uh, because that's, the, I think, the biggest uh, thing. But moving right along to the important stuff. I've been on the road with the Who's Line Gang. And, um, yeah, we were in uh, Chico, uh, which is always... Uh, several years ago, I tweeted when we were on our way to Chico, look out, Chico. And a friend of mine... Uh, tweeted this I nominate this for saddest tweet of the day <laughs> we didn't drive back on the night we stayed there and uh, there's a terrific place called Moms I'm not kidding it's like I'm writing a bad Nelson Algren right isn't that what Nelson Algren said never play cards with a man named Doc never eat at a place called Moms and never sleep with a woman with more troubles than yourself right <laughs> and uh it's called Moms, and uh, they have little green things, and, you know, it's, ki it's kitschy inside. There's bric-a-brac and whatnot. Uh, yeah, it's a combination of ferals and hula hands and a real place that someone owns and shit. And uh, if you're ever in Chico, uh, just drop by and uh, say, the poop dog was there the other morning. Cause Sadly, we played there so many times that when I walked in this time, they were like, hey, how was the show? How was the show again? And I did my usual. I think we fooled them. <laughs> Can I have? And they're like, we know. We know what you're ordering. <laughs> but I was watching the Cubs parade, and that's what we wanted to get to right away. Was the uh, congratulations? 108 years between championships isn't just futility. It's an. A, a, it's, it, it's, a, it's a Dante-esque Hieronymus Bosch illustrated manifestation of futility. Albrecht Durer is not cold enough to depict what 108 years between flags feels like. It's not one generation. It's not two generations. It's not three generations. It's four generations. That means no one's... It's not even... It's five. Because you can have a fourth generation. There's no one alive that was at the last time they played in that World Series unless they're a 108-year-old person and they were taken as an infant child. <laughs> The Cubs did play subsequent to that. We won't get into that, although a lot of the baseball people out there, I'm sure, would really like me to roll through all of the Cubs' appearances in the World Series, one after the next. <laughs> I'm tempted, but I'm not going to. A couple of highlights. Uh, this Game 7 was uh, one of the most bravura, possibly. A lot of people call the, the Game uh, 6 of the 1975 World Series between the Bostons and the uh, Reds. 
the greatest World Series game ever played. If you're an Atlanta fan, you might say that, or a Minnesota fan, the 91, Game 7 of the 91 Series against Atlanta. Uh, of course, I'm a Giants fan. Uh, game 7 of the 2014 Series, uh, where Madison Bumgarner... Yeah, there's a lot of San Francisco people in here tonight. What can I tell you? And, uh, uh, the, you know, because that one went down. We were on the mat. What makes a great game? Uh, mistakes. Uh, uh, insane, weird acts of God. Um, <laughs> right? Squirrels on the pitch. Uh, heroes, goats, fuck-ups. And the, the seventh get Cubs game was like eight games. It was like a week's worth of games in one game. There was the first game that seemed to be going okay, and then it was like a moderate score and shit was okay. And then um, the Cubs manager had an aneurysm and took out a pitcher who was sailing. <laughs> Because he threw one walk and brought in a pitcher who will not throw the ball to first base in a World Series game. Will not. Hasn't, will not, ain't gonna. And uh, that was pretty weird. Then they, they gave up a devastating tater and came back from that and fucking tied it again and then, uh, and then went ahead. And Zobris, but Zobris had been on KC the year before, and uh, if anybody knew. But there you are. Um, mistakes were made. And uh, not since uh, uh, Joe Madden's a superb manager and, an, and a highly intelligent person. And because I'm so cool and I know Joel Murray, uh, we were in Chicago a month ago and we fucking had coffee with Joe Madden. And uh, Joe Madden uh, took a picture with us and I was like, <laughs> and I, I didn't say anything, right? I, he, we simply started talking to him. We we're all having coffee. And he got up from his computer and his playbook and he went, I've never managed a team like this before in my life. These guys never quit. Yesterday, Baez had a headache and uh, 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 Rizzo was complaining about something. He said, they just played anyway. And you know what? Tomorrow, it was when they were clinching the pennant against the Mets. Tomorrow, fuck it. Everyone gets the day off. I'm playing. Yeah, he went, fuck it. Everyone gets the day off. And I was like, I love it. He was making out the lineup card for tomorrow while he was having coffee. And he was eating a banana. And he told me that he hated one town in particular. And I shouldn't say it because it's going to get out. And I'm not going to. No. Let me just say that uh, if you're a Chicago fan, you know which team it is. And uh, so, yeah, that one. That is some weak-ass sports writing, Greg. The last time the Cubs won the World Series, the winning pitcher in the seventh game was Orvi Overall, or as full name, Orville Overall. And, yeah, known as Orvi to the fans. They also had a pitcher on the team named Peter Centennial Mordecai Three-Fingered Brown, who, in a threshing accident in his childhood, lost the entirety of his index finger and a good deal of his second finger. Well, it wasn't mended back on because this was the 1890s, and so, and he was called Centennial because he was born in 1876. Peter Centennial, Mordecai, three-fingered brown. So the players called him three-finger, even though he really only had two and a half fingers. And it left him with a curveball that was unhittable. <laughs> because the way he gripped it, he could fucking fire it down, and it broke in on right-handers, right? So, yeah, it was, he was hot. He won 29 games in 1908, the last time the Cubs won the World Series. And um, uh, they didn't play in Wrigley Field. That's how long ago it was. <laughs> Wrigley Field in American history is like, hasn't that been there forever? Didn't that, isn't Lincoln Logs and Wrigley Field the oldest two buildings? <laughs> Look, if there can be Mazel Tov cocktails, there can be, Lincoln might have been born in a house made of Lincoln Logs for all we know. 
with that fucking green roof on it that was perfect. Perfect. And then someone would eventually step on one or crash one, and then the splinter would be formidable. Um, maybe I'm remembering the sad part of it. What the bugger was her name? There it is. Scotty Nell Hughes. Um, God bless her. She's been a fervent supporter of um, Crump. And uh, she went on TV last night. And because his fans have a special kind of illiteracy. <laughs> where bigly is a word. And prefixes and suffixes are dropped and changed pretty much at will. Uh, um, we're doing. We're. We're. Uh, there's a lot of bitches who need shit done to them. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, she said. Uh, 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 she was talking about a Jay Z video where they were throwing Molotov cocktails. And um, just so you know, uh, I'm sure we all know what, what a Molotov cocktail is. It's an explosive combination of gasoline and other, you know, fucking incendiary liquids with a rag stuffed into the top of a bottle of some kind. You light it. We've all seen Le Miz or whatever, and you fucking. <laughs> You know, uh, Mike Meehan, the brilliant comic from San Francisco, goes, I lost my gas cap, so I've been driving around with a rag in my car. <laughs> yeah, it's the Plymouth Molotov. <laughs> the Plymouth Molotov. Uh, but so, just so you know exactly who he was, uh, the Molotov cocktail, uh, during, uh, it became the Molotov cocktail during the early days of World War II, when the Soviets, still emboldened by the uh, non-aggression pact, uh, signed by Vyacheslav Molotov and his Nazi counterparts, invaded Finland and was known as the Winter War. Now, Finland fought several wars during World War II. They, as we discussed on the Finnish episode, they. How did you know when you were done? Um, we. <laughs> I don't feel that good. Um, all right. Um, the uh, they fought the Germans and then they fought the Russians and then they fought the Germans again, smoking on skis. <laughs> With the occasional grenade and bazooka. And uh, they didn't whine a bit about it. And uh, unlike Norway, which didn't shower itself in glory during the war, uh, Finland was hard as. Um, that was called the Winter War. When reports began circulating, Russian forces were bombing the Finns at the beginning of the 3940 conflict. This is well before we showed up. Uh, Molotov, which means hammer in Russian, objected, saying that the Soviets were in fact dropping food and drink over Finland, exhibiting wit under fire. By the way, I didn't write this. This is from... Business Insider. <laughs> you think Rachel Maddow can go on before she hits the point? Watch this fucking show. <laughs> Business Insider was where I went for this information. Largely vetted by historians, by the way. <laughs> Doris Kearns Goodwin called it incisive. Exhibiting wit under fire, which is like starting a, a joke with, this joke's so funny. <laughs> Poison in the well. Never start a joke with, this is funny. It's like when your relatives tell a joke at fucking Christmas or whatever. Someone will pick up the fucking, you know, conch and go like, I've got a humorous story about a pastor and a donkey. And you're like, oh. It reminds me of the one about the pig and the uh, vicar. Boy, the crowd went quiet. Never mind. <laughs> and why do you call him Porky Colleen? Because, Father, he fucks pegs. 
I just went right to the end. <laughs> Exhibit. <laughs> Exhibiting wit under fire, the Finns started referring to the cluster munitions dropped by the Soviets as Molotov bread baskets. We'll be back after this. Page three. Uh, yeah, she called it a Mazeltov cocktail. I understand. Things are confusing that are foreign and Jewish and stuff. There's, she is a, a lovely woman. She's quite tall with enormous... Uh, 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 I looked at a picture today on CNN, and I have to be honest, this is what I said. I turned to all the boys in the van, Joel and whatnot, and said, did she marry an astronaut? Because she had 1962 fucking, you know, right? Right stuff hair. And uh, she was on telly, and she met Molotov, but she doesn't know what Molotov is. Any more than Dania Perina, who's a very lovely person, when she was the press secretary for George W. Bush, and they brought up the Bay of Pigs at a conference, and she went, what's the Bay of Pigs? Much like Gary Johnson during every moment that he's been on camera. An extraordinary gap where knowledge should lie. What ought to be a fertile crescent, rich and redolent with greenery, flora and fauna overwhelming, teeming with birds screaming through the sky, and the occasional pterodactyl ripped from the time past, is instead an airy Sufi desert devoid of any knowledge, and uh, only uh, errant copies of Health magazine and small Joe Boxer shorts laid here and there on the libertarian trail. Blanched skulls, pools of green alkali, and, and, and a road sign that's been partially f- set afire. <laughs> Not knowing anything has been the theme of this election. Uh, it's been a fact-free election. We've jumped into a void where there appears to be several parallel universes running at once. Uh, not in a patently obvious Matrix way. I remember when The Matrix came out, a friend of mine complained to me that uh, people were saying to him, The Matrix is so confusing, I didn't follow. And it's like, well, the world is a construct made by artificial intelligence, and you're playing out a role in this bizarre construct. And people, Mm-mm. you know, and I thought, no, it's pretty easy to understand. But what's been going on for the last 16 months makes The Matrix look like fucking kindergarten cop. This <laughs> dueling rivers of reality that wind back on each other, uh, some that lead to the, the gaping black sea of, of, of lies and infamy, and others that run towards uh, what has as yet uh, been an undefined uh, pink and perfect puddle where butterflies whistle in multicolored bubbles over the hills. Um, and butterscotch futures are guaranteed for all. Uh, what I love about America, and I, there's not tacos, obviously, uh, is 
We really are hilariously unbridled optimists. In the midst of our drinking and cynicism and the knowing that the fact that we're fucked eight ways from Wednesday because the military-industrial complex is only going to allow so much movement. But within that movement, we've seen all these amazing things happen in the last 50 years, right? Like um, voting and uh, yeah, rights and uh, gay marriage and, you know, kooky things like that. Uh, and that will continue to go forward. Um, is that um, every presidential election, we think the world's going to change. Uh, and the world actually is this horrible, grinding, giant, five billion inhabited fucking, the Russians are here, too. Uh, um, you know, there's other people in play. And, uh, but uh, uh, it, the, the, the truth of it is, at the end of eight years of Obama, it really feels like the world did change. Because if anybody has any memory at all, and I don't mean the people who have swum down the memory hole and uh, threw that picture of the three conspirators away, like fucking Winston Smith in 1984, and then see it again for a brief moment, and then it never existed, but you know that it did, uh, that reality... Uh, that a bunch of people are living in will remember that uh, at the end of the Bush administration malaise and torpor a black cloud like a wrinkle in time was gathering around the earth because we'd let Dick Cheney uh, drive the fucking wagon into the lake and uh, there was no economy where there was two wars blazing um, nothing had really happened that was good for a long time everyone was up to their dick and bullshit um, we had Karl Rove and uh, uh, Donald Rumsfeld leave the system still worked <laughs> they left uh, he appointed a John Roberts chief justice which was fucking zangy and um, Alito too I believe did he not have Alito was one of his mm -hmm. but then uh, Obama got to appoint Kagan Sotomayor I mean how relevant is that and how beautiful is that and that's what needs to happen and that's all I'm saying that's where the butterflies come in mm. I don't think we were all ready, though, for the layers of bullshit. And the unbelievable awareness that um, within our own ranks as humans, there are people who are willing to say and do anything to keep fucking getting a paycheck, even if it means not building a firewall against the worst event in the fucking history of the United States. Um, and that's the weird part. Uh, it's not weird, but it's... Uh, for those of us who live in L.A., which I'm speaking for most of us in the room here, uh, except for the two people who've come in from Valencia, is <laughs> LA, Valencia's probably part of LA yeah. LA's huge as a p political entity LA encompasses um, from Goleta uh, to Oceanside is my understanding and all the way inland to uh, Carson City Nevada was home to the Comstock load. One of the richest in Nevada history. We tried to erect a wall then, but it didn't stick. Look, there's a sign. I'm gonna take a shot at it. We haven't even invented meth yet. I've been drinking Lydia Pinkham serum all day and I'm fucked eight ways from opiate Wednesday. So, there's that. The disappointment that people really will tow the fucking corporate line and there's not a lot of glory to go around, sadly. Um, but let me read you something that'll lift your spirits immediately. Um, as Mr. Khan does, um, I have a copy of the Constitution. I even have another copy of the Constitution 
bolstering kittens. It doesn't make me more patriotic than you. It just means that someone gave me an extra one. I bought one of them, I think, at one of those boring uh, patriotic places. When you go to Philadelphia or Washington or Boston, you could die of white guys. I mean, you could fucking die of white guys. Why didn't you wear trousers? Stockings with buckles and wigs? All right, all right, I get it, I get it. Age of Enlightenment, I understand. You were thinking about shit. You were thinking about how you were going to fucking drink laudanum and whip on some slaves and shit. I get it. And then there were higher ideals, I remember. Because they're in Philadelphia today. Uh, um, the Hillcat and um, uh, the Big O and uh, Lady O and uh, the Big Dog uh, and Chels. And uh, they all got up and did a jam. And... Uh, they all mentioned the founding fathers and I was like you have to in Philly it's like not mentioning uh, cheesesteak or racism <laughs> or the worst thank you so much or the, thank you so much I appreciate it or the worst sports fans uh, on earth no I'm kidding they're very nice Philly fans are nice I love Philadelphia and I'm going back there so I shouldn't really be a piece of shit about it <laughs> but when you go to the Liberty Bell you're like <clears throat> Not exactly the Uffizi, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, go to Venice if you want every moment of every day that you're awake to be like, oh my God, there's a dead rat the size of a poodle. <laughs> or, yeah, you know, uh, we were in Barcelona once and I, there was a dead heroin addict in the street. <laughs> wow! Right? That's the kind of excitement you can get. In Philly, you're like, there's a dead person, first of all, and they're frozen into someone's stoop. Trump went, I thought I wasn't going to say his name. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary. I can't To a place in Philly that was famous for having an English only sign and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there are awesome places in Philly, and they're not. Yeah. Anyway, the 19th Amendment, um, ratified in 1920 by an all male legislature. Women's right to vote. The right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state. That makes it specific. Yeah, because so many things are vague, like this whole. Second Amendment, which I'm not going to read tonight because we're having a good time. <laughs> uh, shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. Congress shall have power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. Um, sex leaves it wide open. They didn't even say gender. So, yeah, think how prescient they were on the LGBTQ tip. Uh, Heaven knows what Jefferson was up to. <laughs> this is the one that we have to always look out for, and then we'll move on. Amendment 1, 1791, religion, speech, press, assembly, petition. By the way, again, let me just crash those dates on you one more time. The Founding Fathers, who we talked so much about and made a musical about and shit, although, thankfully, the musical was a review <laughs> of their work, not, one of, not a $10 bill. 
um, is uh, 1791 is the First Amendment. When women got the right to vote, 1920. Get right on that. Uh, a lot of women you've seen uh, in this election were uh, born before that amendment was ratified. And uh, that makes it so immediate, does it not? It is not a long time ago. There are people alive. Granted, they're in their 90s. Uh, uh, but think, I mean, yeah, there you are. It's a... Uh, Right. I mean, if there's something to be proud of as Americans, it's we all know what it is. It's it's uh, it's Shirley Chisholm and Willie Mays and uh, uh, jazz and <laughs> and uh, taco trucks and <laughs> nasty women. <laughs> Madam President, if you're nasty. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it's all included in your Squarespace website. It's easy. Creating your website with Squarespace is a simple, intuitive process. You can add and arrange your content and features with the click of a moose. Free to custom domain. Squarespace makes adding a domain to your site simple. If you sign up for a year, you'll receive a custom domain for free for a year. Beautiful templates. Design a best-in-class online store with Squarespace's award-winning templates, customizable settings, and more. All without a single plug-in. Seamless commerce tools. From nationally recognized brands to your favorite local shop, Squarespace is trusted by hundreds of thousands of savvy shop owners around the world, including all the tools you need to track inventory, process orders, and send custom emails in one intuitive interface. Squarespace Commerce allows you to understand every aspect of your business. Customer support. Squarespace offers 24 hours, seven days a week customer support. Every member of the customer care team is an experienced Squarespace user, working in a Squarespace office, wearing regulation clothing. No matter how technical your problem or trivial seeming your question, one of their team is always online to assist you happily. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter the offer code PROOPS to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, set your website apart. That's PROOPS, P-R-O-O-P-S, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. I thank you. And the Smartest Man in the World podcast thanks you. All right. Uh, I got a letter here. People write me. We're going to go back to all of this. Of course we will. Uh, Lizelle Mueller wrote me thank you for your humor uh, music and politics you recently read my letter regarding my husband's trip to North Dakota for a week to join the Sacred Stone camp what an astounding and organized community it is two meals a day are served to hundreds of people there's a school medics and herbalists my husband spent two days splitting wood and teaching some other folks to do so he manages an organic farm here in western Massachusetts which is also a teaching farm for young children at the camp school he talked with students about the interconnectedness of all waterways throughout the world the herbalist will make healing tonics of the organic honey he harvests from bees from the farm the people are organized and committed it's a complete disgrace the first amendment among other things is being trampled at this camp both religious rights as well as free speech and assembly rights people must support this effort every way they can with supplies money and work if they are able this is a fight for all of us and for the water we drink please continue to urge people to learn more and support standing rock uh, and then she's giving me a poem here. I wanted to go back. This is the other amendment I was going to read, the first one that I started to disparage uh, the timing on that one. Here we go. Religion, speech, press assembly, and petition. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances for the right of the people peaceably to assemble 
and petition the government, that's exactly what they're doing. They are peaceably assembling and petitioning the government for a redress of grievances. We all know the gig. Uh, it's gotten heavy-handed there. It's super icky. And uh, thank God the focus can go back to it uh, and has this week. You see, we're a week in the future. Six days. Because poetry, like music, feeds our souls. Here's a poem she gave me. The Laughter of Women. She wrote it. The laughter of women sets fire to the halls of injustice, and the false evidence burns to a beautiful white lightness. It rattles the chambers of Congress and forces the windows wide open so the fatuous speeches can fly out. The laughter of women wipes the mist from the spectacles of the old. It infects them with a happy flu, and they laugh as if they were young again. Prisoners held in underground cells imagine that they see daylight when they remember the laughter of women. It runs across water that divides and reconciles two unfriendly shores, like flares that signal the news to each other. What a language it is, the laughter of women, high-flying and subversive. Long before law and scripture, we heard the laughter we understood freedom. Uh, that was by Lisel Mueller. Thank you for that. Uh, here we go. Uh, we've been contacted by the Poetry Foundation uh, is a, 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 an organization that was set up um, 70, 80 years ago and then uh, received a grout uh, from uh, the, the Lilly heir to the Lilly Pharmaceutical Fortune and um, they print poetry on their website and they want you to subscribe to their magazine. Um, I talk about poetry a lot on the show, and this is a chance to actually participate in poetry. There's new poets on the site all the time. It's at poetryfoundation.org. Um, if you go to poetryfoundation.org slash smartest man, uh, you can get a subscription to their magazine. It's 20 clams, and um, it's 11 issues. And because they're wildly funded, they have giant books of poetry that they send you 11 times a year. So if you're interested in all... Uh, I would check it out. It's poetryfoundation.org slash smartestman. And um, this is one of the poets that's featured on their site. Um, we're going to read from a bunch of different ones as time goes on because we wanted to get together with a, a poetry organization and um, support living modern poetry as well as, of course, all the other poetry I read. Um, Marcus Wicker is from Ann Arbor, Michigan. He's the author of Maybe the Saddest Thing, which got uh, um, selected by D.A. Powell for the National Poetry Series. His awards include a Ruth Lilly Fellowship, a Pushcart Prize, and fellowships from Cave Canem, that means Beware of Dog, and uh, the Fine Arts Work Center. His work has appeared in Poetry American, Poetry Review, Oxford American. Um, he's the poetry editor of the Southern Indiana Review. And uh, this is his poem, and it's called Conjecture on the Stained Glass Image of White Christ at Ebenezer Baptist Church. And the first is a quote from Corinthians. For in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. If in his image made am I, then make me a miracle. Make my shrine a copper faucet, leaking everlasting Evian to the masses. Make this empty water glass a goblet of long-legged French wine. Make mine a prince purple body bag designed by Crown Royal for tax collectors to spill over and tithe into just before I rise. If in his image made am I, then make my vessel a pearl coupe de ville. Make mine the body of a 28-year-old black woman. 
in a blue pattern maxi dress cruising through hell on earth, Texas. <laughs> Alive again. If in his image made are we, then why the endless string of effigies? Why so many mortal blasphemes? Why crucify me in HD across a scrolling news ticker tied to a clothesline or broken neck's longest time? Is this thing on? Jesus on the ground. Jesus in the margins of hurricane and sea. Jesus of busted leaves in chocolate cities. Jesus of the Middle East, Africa. And crows flying backwards of blood on the leaves inside diamond mines in underdeveloped mineral-rich countries. If in your image made are we, the, prolifer the proliferation of your tie-dyed hippie doppelganger makes you easier to daily see. And in this image, didn't we make the Godhead slightly stony, high enough to surf a cloud? And didn't we leave you there where surely paradise or justice must be mated out? Couldn't we see where water takes the form of whatever most holds it upright? If then, this is what it's come down to, my faith in rifle shells, in Glock 22 magazine sleeves, isn't it also then how why in a bucket shot full of holes I've been made to believe? That's Marcus Wicker. You can read it on uh, poetryfoundation.org. And of course, if you go to poetryfoundation.org slash smartest man, there's an offer for you to subscribe to get 11 awesome issues for 20 clams. Uh, we're on the road. Uh, we're here tonight. A good thing I wrote that one down. <laughs> Portland, Oregon, we're going to. As you know, uh, the inhabitants insist on calling it PDX. And a lot of people wear uh, beards. But there you are. They're nice people. <laughs> Touch them, hold them. They have tattoos. And I'm just going to ride my fixed brake bike to band practice, man. My, my, my birthday's coming up, so I told my girlfriend to pick up some extra shifts. I'll have a single origin chai latte with no fam. I got a lactose thing. A couple bros are going to come over later. We're going to practice some bass. Maybe kick the hacky sack around. Eleven seventeen to 11.20. I have no idea why I'm calling months by their numbers. November 17th. Uh, the podcast will be on the 20th at the Helium in Portland. Also, by the by, on the 19th uh, of the Saturday afternoon... Doug Benson's doing Doug Loves Movies in Portland at that same club, and I will be participating in that, and then attempting to do two stand-up shows afterwards. <laughs> Just for the taste of it. Like a rock. Ooh. Like a rock. It's a little too tall. Could have used a few pounds. Yeah, that one's going to be quite a night that Saturday. <laughs> what did Edgar Winter say? I'm on easy, easy street Saturday night. Um, the 25th, uh, we'll be at the Bell House in Brooklyn. Isn't that Thanksgiving? No. <laughs> it's right after. Jennifer and I will be watching the parade. Uh, we have uh, for the last year and uh, 
it's kind of a tradition with us. <laughs> little bo- little ox, a little bagel. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Fucking Snoopy from above. Yeah. Uh, we were above the balloons, and um, they're patched. <laughs> they're in terrible shape. There's no reason this parade should come off. I'm here to tell you that Pikachu needs the fucking ER right now. Seriously. Pokemon Go is stat. Oh, he's kind of new this year, I'm sure. But wow. I love when they show the dance numbers in front of uh, Macy's or whatever. That's my favorite part of the parade. Not getting up and drinking. Well, that's fun, too. (laughs) The problem with day drinking is, what about one to four? (laughs) You know exactly what I'm saying. If you've ever been to Hawaii, the confounding part of Hawaii is that it's an army base dropped into paradise. And that uh, the time is so, you know, as Steve Miller said, it kept on slipping. Slipping, slipping. So day starts in Hawaii like a year before ever. And uh, we were there once during a baseball playoff. And I remember all of the playoff games were done by 11.30, noon. And it's like, there's no sports on at night in Hawaii. Which, uh, it's part of America. Well, nominally. And uh, it's the Muslim Kenyan part of America. And... You know how they love spam. (laughs) When you get up in the morning and you make that first decision at like 9.30 or 10 to have a little champagne with a fucking raspberry in it or a a beer, let's be honest. Let's get Chris Christopherson on this one. It's not always champagne with a raspberry, Greg. It's more like there was a glass of wine from last night that hasn't been finished and there was a cigarette butt floating in it, but I pulled the cigarette butt out and drank it anyway. And drank it anyway. Yeah. There was this much left in a bottle of four roses. Who brought that? Is there no Maker's Mark left in Los Feliz? That's what you drink. And, uh, you know, I mean, if you're lucky, it's pina coladas or someone's organized something and someone's making bacon or French toast or whatever. And everybody, oh, fuck, yeah. And then, oh, I'm going to have a little dank. And then now it's 1130 and you're fucked. (laughs) You're fucked. And then it's like, do we watch TV all day or do we go outside or do we pretend to get in the car and go somewhere? (laughs) If you're on holiday, it's not likely. By that moment, that's the moment when you've given over and you're like, why don't we just stay here? (laughs) I could really go for some James Taylor, man. I've never said that. Steely Dan, yes, I admit to it. I admit to that. Uh, we'll be in Belhouse on 1125. Uh, <clears throat> then moving on to December. December 1st through the 3rd, we'll be at Yuck Yucks. <laughs> I gotta have a word with my career. 
You know, I said it to Jennifer the other day. I always like to have some booze at the house, like vodka or champagne or whatnot, in case I drop in. <laughs> what if I come by? I'm going to want a drink or whatever. Uh, yeah. Uh, we'll be in Yuck Yucks. Uh, it's a nice place. It's all right. Believe me, it's, a, it's in Vancouver. How bad could it be? Uh, we'll have Japanese food. Um, we'll have some dank. Uh, you're, oh, kittens, we've got to start. <laughs> Years ago, I was at the Vancouver Comedy Festival. How long ago was it? It was before What the Fuck with Mark Maron started. <laughs> because Mark and I were standing outside and um, chatting, I remember. And he had a very funny routine. And uh, uh, not when we were outside, but <laughs> later we all did a show together, and every everybody was quite funny and uh, illustrious, illustrious. It was. Uh, let me just brag. It was Mark Maron. It was Maria Bamford. It was. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it was. Uh, they booked a hot festival. But I gets in the van, and um, the cat goes um, like, uh, "Do you smoke weed?" And I'm like, "Hmm." <laughs> did I hear you right? And. Uh, I said, well, if we were going to do this, where would it take place? And he's like, reach in the back. <laughs> and I said, this is a tidy little business you've got going on here, ferrying comics in from the airport and um, selling their first bag of weed when they reach Vancouver. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> then he pulled out a joint that was inside a corrugated origami construction. <laughs> Let me explain. It was a cylinder of cardboard, the corrugation on the outside, you know, you know, like cardboard corrugation, and it had been adhesed, and uh, inside was a perfectly constructed J with a filter wound into it, European style, but like the kind you get at a pre-made, you know, the kind you buy at a second-hand store. Um, my boss was missing McGee. I was a bit too leisurely. Uh, and uh, he cracks it out. And uh, we're, so he, now, he's a van driver. So it's a comedy festival. And van drivers come and get you and drop you off and shit. And it's random and whatnot. And he shows up. And like he takes out a fucking bonzo bomber corrugated origami fucking deconstructed Bruce Connor, you know. <laughs> Sculpture from 1958 and goes, would this be appropriate considering the circumstances? <laughs> Lay on, Macduff! And damned be him who first cries old enough! So that was a rare treat. And uh, we went to the hostility, right? Or the hospitality. And... Um, <laughs> There's always a hostility in every comedy festival. And they give you cups and sometimes cozies. Frisbees, umbrellas, shit, you know, pens, uh, mints, uh, all, all sponsored by different comedy entities. Whether it's a comedy corporation or a CISO or, you know, whatever. There's always like a, a sponge from the Comedy Central. Ah! You know, and I can be jaded about it. You, of course, would be like, fuck, look. And that midnight t-shirt, are you kidding me? This shit's off the chain. I love it, man. I love comments. I'm not biting the hand that feeds me. I'm just being a dick. 
<laughs> oh, I haven't even talked about my gifts. Uh, but we will start the show, and then when I do, I will. Um, the, so we go to the hostility in Vancouver, and um, they give you a bag, and it's full of stuff. And there's oh, there's always a either a sport bottle that you're supposed to refill when you run or something <laughs> outside with bad clothing on, or ride a bicycle but wear a thing on your head <laughs> and clips on your legs and shit. I don't. I see people doing it. And, uh, or uh, it's like a, a go coffee one. It's like, it'll be like uh, vermilion or turquoise metallic and then have that weird black stopper that has the lippy thing that you're supposed to suck fucking shit lattes through or whatever. Two things that I'm never... I give them away to everyone. Everyone has one that knows me. If you know me, you have one. It's purple. And it says Ha Channel on it. I don't know why they think everyone wants one. I don't. Maybe I'm too laissez faire. Maybe other people go, like, I'm going to fill my fucking turquoise Ha Channel cup up. I don't know why they talk like Don Knotts. With a weapon. That's my body. I love a cop. So, uh, I gets my kit. I get. I gets my. Hello. Did it die? Yeah. Really? What's going on, Ryan? This is weird. Oh, that got even weirder. It's like the Cubs game. It rained. Then the game started again, and they won. Could that have been God interfering? Or simply that it fucking rains in November in the Midwest. As my friend Matt Weinhold used to say, coincidence? Yes! That's what a coincidence is! Yeah, it rained. It's not... Uh, no, it rained. It's fucking November, you guys. It's November. It should rain. It should rain. Frankly, in the Midwest, it rains in July, and it's horrible. Florida, it rains all the fucking time, so what are you going to do? Vote early. Hope for a move. I love the people that move to Florida. Well, we want This is a lifestyle down here. <laughs> Is it the humidity that drew you? <laughs> or the fact that you have to drive a thousand fucking miles to get a fucking Orange Julius? <laughs> I was in the Hamptons. I don't know, it was five, seven years ago. My, Jennifer always accuses me of fudging every memory by extending the time period. Like... Oh, yeah, I was in the Hamptons like, I don't know, 30, 40, 80 years ago. <laughs> I was in a biplane. And um, I did a gig there. I've, I, I think I, I'm certain I've talked about that. I won't go into the whole gig again, but I will remind you of this part. Um, I was on a floor and the house was raked and it was a rich people theater. And in the summer they had uh, brought, they brought uh, celebrities in 
and me. And, uh, <laughs> but they brought people in to do plays from New York and shit. And they had a stand-up show. And so I was in the stand-up show. And uh, it was supposed to be a thing for the rich people who stayed at the Hamptons in the summertime, blah, blah, blah. As you went out there, I was reading the Post and the Daily News and all that. And on the page six and all that is, is who's out in the Hamptons. And it was and that year, it was like Gwyneth and what's the woman who was on the hills or some I don't know what the fuck well, anyway Lauren something Lauren Conrad. yeah Lauren Conrad thank you I believe she had been to a clothing thing or something the driver on the way out was like Bruno Kirby the whole way Jimmy Buffett lives over there he's a billionaire it's not just the music it's the books and the restaurants the guy's got an empire so we get out there and it's humid as fuck and they've put me at the worst hotel. I didn't know there was a bad hotel in the Hamptons. The Hamptons is a striped awning with an ice cream cone and a bunch of boats and white people. And um, they put me in a hotel. It was like a motor lodge and the, uh, the air conditioning in my room went like this. I'm going to turn it off. I'm going to turn it up as far as it'll go. And no cold air came out. So I'm on the floor telling my jokes. And a rich woman gets up and she's wearing like shorty crop pants and, you know, sandals and, you know, a rich person, $500 haircut and fucking diamond necklace. And she goes the wrong way. She like starts to go into the dressing room. And I said, ma'am, the restroom's over there. It's to the, it's to the right. And she ignores me completely. And I carried on and went, it's to the right. You'll find that you're going the wrong way and that the door you're pulling on right now is going to go nowhere. She pulls on it anyway and she goes in and she comes back out. And I'm like, it's to the right where you wish to go. <laughs> and then she finally, oh, registers me. By the way, I'm on a microphone <laughs> with a suit on, with a spotlight on me. Standing on a stage where she is walking on the same floor as me. And I went, she's not used to anyone below her speaking to her. In a commanding way, right? Like I, I was telling her what to do and it was not happening. And I said, and the other problem is, of course, that, you know, no matter who you hire, they steal. And... <laughs> She said she's Dominican, but I think she's Puerto Rican. They didn't love me there. So, to add insult to fucking injury, I'm in the shittest hotel in the Hamptons. And by the way, the Hamptons are a good eight hours from New York City. It's a long way. I was in a car, and I didn't realize that the East Coast carried on that far. I thought only Blackbeard the Pirate had gone that far on the East Coast. Remember, he went to North Carolina and fought a battle and was imprisoned. And shit. Like, I, like the, you know, the East Coast was in play. And I didn't realize it went further. I thought Manhattan was like the end of the world, right? Like, you know, whatever. And the, but, like, Statue of Liberty and then, you know, Charlton Heston and then nothing. <laughs> And instead, fuck you, it's like a year away. So 
after the show, I go, I'm starving. But um, what, what are small, rich towns like at uh, 10 o'clock at night? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, is there a Chinese restaurant or a Thai place or a swinging fucking boat that has, like, steak frites and fucking a jazz band? Uh, oh, I forgot. Gwyneth Paltrow has fun here. That's the level of fun we're at. So it's like Great Gatsby without the drugs and the wanton sex and drinking. The thing about Gatsby is it provides everything you want. If rich people really acted like that, and they do some, but not there. So I says, can I get some fid? And they're like, um, <laughs> look, it's learn to talk. And... And I get this one. Well, what would you like? We could order you a pizza. <laughs> and I'm like, you can drop the attitude. You work in a theater. <laughs> right? I mean, next to a bowling alley or a, a shooting gallery. <laughs> really? A theater? I've been in a lot of theaters. And trust me. It's, vaunted is not, yeah. And uh, I go, yeah, I'll have a pizza. What kind would you like? <laughs> Fucking pepperoni. <laughs> Parentheses, sub rosa, douchebag. <laughs> so I finished my sat, and it's happened to me at one other place, and this will key you to fucking... I played the Isle of Jersey once with an improv group. Yeah. And... Jersey people who live in Jersey call themselves Jersey Beans because they're um, fuckwads. <laughs> it's a tax haven off the coast of England and there's a castle in the water. It's stunning. And everyone who lives there is a jerkwater fucking piece of shit. Tory Brexit asshole. The pier and the breakwater were built by slaves during World War II. The Germans brought slaves over took them to Jersey. Yeah, Jersey was the occupied part of England during World War II. And they were fucking not that unhappy about it. Because the breakwater got built. And, uh, and the crowd's gone all quiet. I'm telling you the truth. That was another place where they went, we came in and the buffet was so shit that I fucking threw a high bitch fit of the highest up. And I'd never been there before. I was with Neil Malarkey and Andy Smart. I can't remember who else from the comedy store players. Richard. Not Josie wasn't there. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And the guy's like, well, it's the buffet. And I'm like, this is bullshit. And he goes, well, what do you want? I love that one. What do you want? Um, I don't want this. You know? Fucking curdled up piece of fucking prosciutto from the ancient times and shit. And the Knights of Malta came by with some olives. Fuck you. So I ordered a pizza in fucking Jersey. And by the way, the Braceros of Jersey, right? The people who were brought in to work in Jersey to do all the menial jobs are Portuguese. So I went to a chip shop in the afternoon and I said, I'll have fish and chips. And they were all Portuguese making the fish and chips. At my hotel, three times I asked for a wake-up call and three times it did not. I was called at showtime because I was asleep. <laughs> and three times I went to the, to the desk. I didn't even phone. May I please have a wake-up call for like 7 o'clock? Oh, yeah, yeah. Jersey is the worst place in the world. 
I want a parade for having stayed there one night. <laughs> so I order the fucking pizza. And um, uh, it comes after the show. And the show's awful. Like, really bad. Like, we're terrible. They're fucking ghastly. <laughs> you know, can, we, can we have a place where two people might work? <laughs> you know, like, oh, really? 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 I got Maggie Smith from Down Abbey's on my dick in this fucking thing. <laughs> Except she's cool and funny. And sexy and informed. And they're not. They wear yellow polo pullovers and tasseled loafers and drive Bentleys and shit. I mean, they're the, like, yeah, it's beyond your imagining. I really think it is. And the guy walks in, the fucking twat with the beard, walks in and goes, uh, your pizza's here. And I don't know if you've ever had English takeout from the 90s. You might as well eat the box. <laughs> and so that's what happened in fucking um, uh, the other place. I know where it is. <laughs> they bring me the pizza. And not only am I brought the pizza in backstage at the theater, I'm taken... I, I can't remember if someone drove me or I walked. I, I was not allowed to eat the pizza at the theater. I went back to my room and ate it with a Coke. And the TV was blue and fuzzy and had lines through it. It was what, you know, you turn on the TV and you're like, really, Sid and Nancy? I'm... I didn't shoot it. I'm not on heroin. Why is it acting like Elvis's TV? We're caught in a trap. I can't walk out. Uh, then we'll be in London on the 17th at the Soho Theater um, and that's going to be good fun then we're in Paris when are, we, when are we in Paris Jennifer? the 20th can people come to that? I don't think they can possibly how's that for an answer? bigly we're going to Paris we're going to get a uh, Shakespeare Company and interview uh, the historian of Shakespeare and Company which should be Amazing good fun. We don't have guests, as you know, and uh, we're having one, and it's fantastic. Well, well, let me, yeah. I'm being allowed to go to Shakespeare and Company and interview her. It's like, hey, they gave the Nobel Prize to Bob Dylan. Really? (laughs) Bob Bob Dylan didn't answer the phone for five fucking days. (laughs) You don't give him the Nobel Prize. (laughs) The Nobel Prize just comes to his house and fucking, and he's like, oh, yeah. Right? He doesn't have time for your fucking Nobel Prize. He was back in another lifetime. When I told him, blood. I'm glad I didn't want to let you. Try imagining a place where it's always safe and warm. Come in, she said, I'll give you. Kill him from the. Now that's 70s Dylan now. Because there's the six, there's 60s Dylan, 70s Dylan, and there's now Dylan. And now Dylan is, um, God said, Dave, I'm giving it on, God. And I said, Tony, must be put me on, God. I said, no, it's a lie. I said, you can do what you want, but if you see me coming, you better run. I said, what do you want to kill him down? He said, no, I'll do the one. 
Um, then we'll be at the Punchline in San Francisco on New Year's weekend. The 28th, I believe, is the podcast. Yeah, back in San Francisco. And then uh, we're going to Burlington, Vermont, to the Vermont Comedy Club, the 26th through the 28th. Next year will be in exciting Atlanta. Also San Jose, California, which is down by law. And then uh, Glasgow will be in Glasgow for the Glasgow Festival on the 15th and 16th. Uh, Who's Live will be back on the road in April and May. Uh, the paperback of the smartest book in the world comes out in February, uh, and we're going to be in LA. Yeah, I'm going to give these dates, even though they're five. You know, you're you're going to want to get a piece of uh, your phone, <laughs> and write this down with your thumb. <laughs> Chevaliers in Larchmont, which is a very a darling bookstore, and then Diesel in Brentwood in February. So all that jazz uh, and like that. Um, I said we had to start the show, but I don't know now. <laughs> I just don't know. Um, can I? Can I? Can I offer someone to? Can anyone? Will someone? Yes. Can people? Is there anyone? Could there be that? What do I want? <laughs> Fucking best joke of this new administration. <laughs> that was awesome. Kool Aid. Bob Hope, uh, Road to Utopia. They walk into a miner's bar. I'll have milk, and everyone looks at him in a dirty glass. <laughs> uh, Bobby V is swirling in the heavens. Really? We're going to talk about white people? Yeah, we are for a minute. Uh, Bobby V is from Fargo, North Dakota, and one other person is that I know. I was, oh no, you're not. Um, I was a young, just, uh, this cat named Tony Bender wrote a little piece about Bobby V. Bobby V uh, had a giant run of hits in the 60s, um, something like 38 top 40 type hits. Um, oh yeah, Bobby V and Smooth. Bob Dylan loved Bobby V. Um, this DJ here wrote this piece about him, and this was, uh, let's see here. Um, a busboy in Fargo, Bobby's brother brought into the band, a piano player who knew three chords and could only play them in C. He called himself Elston Gunn with three N's. This is a Bobby V talking. Mr. Gunn, also known as Robert Zimmerman, didn't have a piano. Most of the venues they played didn't either, so his history with the band was short-lived. Some years later in New York, um, Bobby V and his friends went to see uh, 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 this legend in the making. The spotlight went on and out walked uh, the troubadour. We started elbowing each other, Bobby V said. Hey, it's Zimmerman. And then he laughed. Uh, Dylan, for some reason, really loved Bobby V. I think Bobby uh, V and Buddy Holly and all those um, groovy rock stars of the late 50s or early 60s really. Uh, Bobby V was pretty big himself. He talked about touring Europe as one of the headliners in a bus with all the other acts. On the undercard was a rowdy little quartet of Liverpudlians. I didn't write this. (laughs) Thank you, my darling. You can take that one. Thanks. Thank you so much. That was very kind of you. Did I meet you before the show? Yes. All right. <laughs> you coming to Portland? <laughs> On the undercut was a rowdy little quartet of Liverpudlians. This is a DJ writing. His name's Tony Bender. He's probably very nice. There was a rowdy little quartet of Liverpudlians. This is so Casey Kasem. On the undercard was a rowdy little quartet of Liverpudlians. Named the Beatles. 
<laughs> John and Paul would have fist fights on the bus, he remembered. Uh, this is the part I wanted to say here. I didn't see uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, when um, Bob Dylan played in St. Paul in 2013, he told the crowd about his old friend. I've played with everybody from Mick Jagger to Madonna, but the most beautiful person I've ever been on stage with is Bobby V. And then uh, he played a um, Susie Baby, which I'm not going to play. I'm going to play you this one. The Night Has a Thousand Eyes might be my favorite Bobby V song. Um, but Here, spin the other one. Um, but I'm going to play what I think is his best song, Out of Rubber Ball. And he... Carol King wrote this with Jerry Goffin, and his producer, Fuzzy, went to Carol and said, you've got to write this intro for Bobby. Crank this shit up for a second. This is fucking early 60s. Really loud. Baby. too Jewish to pull this off. It's a marvelous record. Um, Bobby V had a long and successful life. He made a million dollars. Good for Bobby V. Part of the Bobby Venton, Bobby V, Frankie Avalon, Fabian, I'm forgetting a million of them, uh, all of the dudes with great hair from the early 60s uh, that preceded the Beatles and then... um, as um, John uh, Waters so aptly said, then the Beatles came along and ruined rock and roll. <laughs> uh, the next one we're going to talk about is uh, uh, Pete Burns uh, is swirling in the heavens. Pete Burns isn't only swirling in the heavens. Um, he's laying on a tombstone set in the heavens, kicking his feet in the air with a giant hairdo and big puffy lips, wearing a... Uh, Pete Burns is one of the most transgressive, transsexual, uh, fantastically... Uh, fluid uh, disco rock stars of the groovy times. He, uh, in the 80s, um, had a big hit, which we're going to play in a second, of course. Um, But then later enjoyed much success on British television on the television show Big Brother, where he became a reality star of the highest caliber because he was hilarious. Um, He was from Liverpool, and it never fucking stopped. And um, he told everyone that would listen that God gave him a big dick. And... (laughs) He was married to both a man and a woman in his lifetime. And my favorite quote is, it's almost as if I was almost straight. And he never admitted to being gay. And yet uh, there's some videos of Here, let me just read you a little bit. Uh, Dead or Alive, um, you spin me around like a record, which you'll recognize immediately when I play. LGBT love folk, lovers of New Wave, dance pop addicts, followers of British reality TV. Um, <laughs> Let's see here. He also had uh, something in my house, which is worth watching. Jennifer and I are watching it today. He's laying on a gravestone, kicking his feet. Uh, My heart goes bang. Get me to the doctor. Um, And let's see here. Uh, A bunch of guys produced him, taking 17 weeks to hit number one in the UK in March 85 and several more months until it peaked in the US at number 11 in August 85. Clattering percussion, da-da-da, sexually charged lyrics. Um, 
let's see here. What did I want to read here? The bass slapping remake of Casey and the Sunshine Bands, That's the Way I Like It, became a UK hit. He remained a superstar in Japan much through the 90s. Burns eventually became well-known for his plastic surgeries, which began with fixing a crooked nose, but snowballed into total facial reconstruction. And he was really good-looking. And we watched a live video of him a couple years ago. Ripped. Ripped beyond measure. Yeah. No, this dude was from Liverpool, acted like the biggest fruit bucket of all time. And if you trifled with him in any way, his boot was going up your ass. Uh, a paparazzi target, he found himself the subject of tabloid spe- uh, speculation. He divorced his wife in 2006 and entered into a civil partnership with his boyfriend, Michael Simpson, and issued his autobiography, Freak Unique, and separated from his boyfriend all during the reality TV show. Uh, it, he was fantastic. Uh, more punk than nearly any contemporary guitar band. Um, they were pointing out that he came out at the same time as um, uh, Boy George. Let's see here. Uh, here we go. Uh, back then, gender benders like Boy George and Annie Lennox, as well as out gay men like Bronski Beats, Jimmy Somerville, and Run Away, Run Away, Run Away. And uh, Frankie Goes to Hollywood's Holly Johnson and Paul Rutherford ruled UK pop, then married to his wife and stylist Lynn Corlett. Burns was nevertheless unmistakably queer. The video to 1987's I'll Save You All My Kisses amplified the camp aspects of every <laughs> Dead or Alive clip that MTV allegedly banned it. Um, there's a bunch of guys with baseball bats on a cyclone fence, and he's wearing the same outfit Cher wears in the If I Could Turn Back Time video. I advise you to watch it at all costs. There's two things you need to do for homework tonight. Read Frederick Douglass speeches and... Pete Burns video rabbit hole it's time the time is now now's the time as Led Zeppelin said before that he was just a hot guy who worked in Liverpool at a record store and uh, they ran a, Jennifer found all of this for me of course uh, everything I'm talking about memories of a shop assistant this is from a, a Twitter feed called at Ram Album Club Pete Burns worked at Probe Records in Liverpool before he was a disco uh, diva forever and ever and was, by all accounts, the most horrible clerk that ever worked there. If you bought something he did not approve of, he would not... It ranged from throwing a fit to not speaking to you to throwing your shit at you. And these are people's recollections of Pete Burns. Uh, I wouldn't have fancied your chances trying to buy Communicate by Dire Straits. Even, even at £3.99. This one's brilliant. John Black John tweets, he bollocked me for buying a Clash single. <laughs> Will you play that Clash single I've queued up there? Or you've queued up there? I just want you to know that I love the Clash beyond measure and they were still white douchebags. <laughs> play this record a little bit. This is them doing hip-hop on Sandinista. All right, it's still good, but it's still kind of shitty too. And you can understand why Pete Burns would go, get the fuck out of my store. <laughs> Is it good? You turn it up a little bit. It has its moments. The intro's way too long. This is a single? Fuck you, you heroined up fucking cokehead fucking punks. There's a jump. Then there's the horrible part where they all sing together. Ryan's already turning it down. Different generations, darling. 
We love the Clash and Apocalypse now. I understand why you left us. I understand why you left us. That part. Don't stop. Really? It's no Rapture by Blondie. I don't even have Rapture on my iPod. Do I? I don't think I do. Yeah, you take that shit off. I'm going to bollock myself for putting that on my iPod. It's not their worst single. I love The Clash. I really, really do. I saw them a bunch of times, but that's record wow. Hey, they're not all gold. Greg, I've heard your show. Um, A guy asked for a copy of 2112. Is that um, Rush? We don't sell that shit in here. Now, there's no one who doesn't agree with that. There's no one who doesn't agree with that. We don't sell that shit in here. Um, he would stare right into your soul, pout, and then either serve you or tell you to do one. <laughs> Imagine, though, it's the Liverpool accent. I can't do it. I can't do it very well. I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. It's bad. You can fu- I can't do it. Uh, idea for a new film. This is one of the tweets. Two, colon, Netflix, subject, colon, idea for a new film. Synopsis. Like High Fidelity but with Pete Burns throwing shade to the punters and probe records. <laughs> this one I love so much. It took 30 minutes to pluck up the courage to ask how much that Kiss picture disc was. <laughs> 30 minutes! A Kiss picture disc. And this is the best part of the tweet. Still waiting for an answer. Imagine Pete Burns. And he wore black contact lenses with long hair and went... There's more. Oh, we're getting to all of these. And then this one in the middle of this tweet storm. Did anyone actually manage to buy a record off him without a drama? I'm guessing the answer to that is Snay. Um, I distinctly remember loitering in the corner waiting for him to be busy if I didn't think he'd uh, he'd approve of a record choice. Pete Burns literally threw my copy of OMD's Enola Gay single across the counter at me. Remember OMD? Orchestral maneuvers in the dark. Orchestral maneuvers. In the dark. I can't see my guitar. Ouch. Were they better than Bebop Deluxe? Bebop Deluxe was scandalously shitty, right? What is that genre of rock? New Wave. Yeah, New Wave, I guess. Post New Wave. Uh, Pete once refused to sell me a half Japanese box set in Probe one Saturday. Uh, I'm not letting you waste your money on that shite. (laughs) And then this one. I got a perfectly civil. There you go, queen. (laughs) 
There you go, Queen. But disappointed, truth be told. <laughs> now, I don't know if you're aware of a record by Jimmy Osmond. <laughs> There's so much context required for this tweet, I don't know where to begin. I didn't put it on my iPod. I considered it, I almost downloaded it, and then I fucking held off. The Osmond Brothers... There was a dreadful time in American history. We'd lost our way. No one knew what was coming next. There was chicken salad with mayonnaise on it, sure. There were swing sets almost everywhere. And out of that boiled the Osmond brothers. First, they were a child's act on telly, and they were on the Andy Williams show, and they sang, and they wore sweaters and ties. Then, as the time wore on, and they got too old to pull that shit, um, someone had the bright idea of making them a soul group and they took them into Muscle, muscle Shoals where they did a record called One Bad Apple um, which is a passable pop record. I'm really not sure how to describe them. Let's get to the chase. They were from Utah. I have had occasion to meet uh, Donnie and Marie. Uh, I have in my garage a Donnie and Marie morning television show um, tote back. I have never gotten rid of it and I never shall. Uh, Marie is my age exactly, born the same week as me. And uh, I don't know why I know that. I think a tiger beat from 1973. <laughs> Donnie and Marie have shown me nothing but kindness. I also have, I was on the $10,000 pyramid years ago. And the opposite person, which makes this story better, it started shitty, but it's getting better. I was on the $10,000 pyramid. Donnie was the host. Um, the other person giving the clues, Sheila E. Yeah. Yeah, you guys. Sheila E. I didn't get a shit one. I got fucking Sheila E. She couldn't give a clue to save her life, but she was awesome. I almost got the fucking 10,000. Well, it wasn't 10,000 then. 25. Yeah, it was 25. Thank you for upgrading me. But they did give me a K ring, which I still have. So Donnie's all right. But his brother was the youngest Osman, and his brother was named Jimmy. And Jimmy had a song that was like a novelty hit in the early 70s. And Jimmy had a, one of those upsetting um, page boy, Prince Valiant, uh, uh, Bobby Goldsboro, you know, as if a bowl had been put on your head, a, a Pete Rose kind of... <laughs> Mo, what was Bobby Slayton's old joke? I'm not going to do that. It's too racist, but it's hilarious. Uh, a really bad bull dude. Prince Valiant, straight up. And Jimmy did a song called Long-Haired Lover from Liverpool that was as bad as you think it is. You Light Up My Life wasn't as bad as Long-Haired Lover from Liverpool. No. You Light Up My Life had moments. And Seasons in the Sun, let's be honest, it's a good song. I know, the crowd's gone our way now. We've gone down the fucking Warren into 70s schlock rock. If I bring up Chevy Van by Sammy John. Her long leg was it? We're tanned and brown. Better keep your eyes on the road, son. You better slow this vehicle down. She woke up and took me by the hand. Gonna love me in my Chevy van. In my Chevy van. How unhygienic was that song? Gross. Gross. 
Then there was the Hawaiian rock star, Andy Kim. Yeah. Rock me gently. Rock me slowly. <laughs> Take it easy, because don't you know that I have never been loved like this before. <laughs> baby, baby! <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Puka shells, flyaway collar. It got real. In a big fucking hurry. So, Jimmy Osmond. I'm only going to sing a couple lines because it's too horrible to even fucking... I want you to like me. And I don't want you to think that you've been invited to the oubliette in medieval times where I just wrap you in muslin and leave you in a shit ball downstairs and I've forgotten you. I still think of your entertainment needs. But I'm going to sing a couple of lines from Long-Haired Lover from Liverpool. I'll be your long-haired lover from Liverpool. You'll be my sunshine baby from L.A. If you had knitting needles, you might drive them into your mastoid. Right into your mastoid. To stop the pain of that song. Here is the next Pete Burns tweet. I can't find it. Here it is. We dared a mate to go in and ask for long-haired lover from Liverpool. He nearly got stabbed. Pete Burns jumped over the counter and cut a bitch for asking for Jimmy Osmond's long-haired lover from Liverpool. That's beyond. I liked it best when Pete Burns sold albums wearing his completely black contact lenses and watching the Scallies freak out. I asked for a Julian Cope album. He curled his lip and said, He's a prick, but he's our prick. Go ahead. <laughs> Julian Coe. Fantastic. Oh, my God. Uh, in any case, um, yeah, that's about that. Uh, I want you to play a little um, uh, Pete Burns, if you will, right now. Uh, and this one's the one you'll know. I actually have never been certain of the name of this single. What store were we in? Debenhams or Fenix? Fenix. Where? We were on Bond Street at Phoenix uh, years ago, Jennifer and I. And Pete Burns was there. And he went into the women's room. Was he with his wife? Yeah. Yeah, He was with his wife. And we clocked him because he was unforgettable looking. He had a lot of hair, a lot of plastic surgery. He was awesome. He went into the women's room and he came back out. And at the moment he came back out, I wasn't looking. And I was turned to Jennifer and I was going... You spin me right round, baby, right round like a record, baby. And he went. And I. Totally busted by Pete Burns. Turn this shit up for just a second because it's awesome beyond measure. You've been the smartest crowd in the world. I've been the smartest man in the world. Welcome to the new Hillary world. Women and people of color and gay people saved the earth. I love you.